podcast this week, we bend the fass's ear about his new video game adaptation, Assassin's Creed, and ask ourselves, which is the greatest of all Christmas movies? Is it Bellatar's Santa Tango or Armano Olmi's The Christmas Tree of Wooden Clogs? Hello, Pod. As you might have gathered, I'm not Chris Hewitt. He's away bringing goodwill and saucy innuendo to all mankind. I'm Phil Dissemlian with another one of my art house takeovers, which means expect this to take at least seven hours and involve four or five references to Berlin Alexanderplatz, for which I'm not going to apologise. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is a man who's such a big fan of James Cameron. He's releasing himself in special edition next year. It's James Dyer. Hi, Phil. Hi. You aren't releasing yourself in special edition. I don't even know what that means. I'm not, though, no, but um, I'm, I'm going to eat a carob bar in his honour. Are you? Okay. Mm. If you did release yourself in special edition, you'd prefer the original? I would. I would prefer to uh, to eject the 17 minutes I would subsequently add. So it'd be like a special edition and then a director's cut, which went back from the special edition to the theatre. But that might cut. be important James Dyer backstory for the rest of us. It could. To understand where you came from, what happened. It could, yeah. What the or- the origin. What, what, what happened in my life to bring me to such a low ebb that I'm sitting here with you today? <sighs> Uh, so, the Empire Podcast Stroke Therapy Session continues uh, with our second... <laughs> uh, you're not really guest. Guest isn't the word, is it? Guest. Our second guest uh, this week is a true Empire great. It's an honour and a privilege to have him back on the podcast. He, ha- he is a man with the great and good of Hollywood on his Christmas card list and a man who didn't celebrate Steven Spielberg's 70th birthday this weekend. Steven Spielberg's 70th birthday celebrated him. It's Ian Freer. Hello, Phil. Hi, Ian. How you doing, man? Good, I'm really well. How are you? Yes, so Steven Spielberg turned 70 on December 18th. Yeah. Yeah, I got him vouchers. What for? Well, just... Like Savvy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get Minority Report on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah. It's all on sale this time of year. Yeah, he's actually, he's broken his foot. He's on crutches. If you if people saw online, he was at uh, Kirk Douglas's 100th birthday party on crutches. Was he? I don't know what he's done, but know. we wish him well. That's terrible. Do you think he got caught in a door while visiting the set of episode eight? No, I think he, he can go to anywhere he likes on the set of episode eight. <laughs> he went everywhere he liked on the set of episode seven, so I'm sure he can do the same with episode eight. He's got a lot of films to make, so we, 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 yes. hope, we wish him a speedy recovery. Yes. Get back out there. Um, shall we have a question? Go for it. To get cracking from one of our lovely readers. Uh, this is from Carl Anders, who goes by the Twitter handle at Lestrade. I want to get rid of the in-laws... Pretty soon after Christmas dinner, what's the least appropriate Christmas movie to show? Well, I don't know about least appropriate, but terrible mm. is I'm a big fan of those Christmas films that end up on Channel 5 in the afternoon. <laughs> and the dear of these, the, the worst and therefore the best of them, is Mrs. Miracle, which stars James Van Der Beek as a, as a kind of a, a, a single parent whose who's, who's wife has died and he's bringing up his kids. And a woman, an older woman, comes into his life and kind of magically finds romance for him. It's absolutely terrible, <laughs> dreadful. The older uh, woman finds right. She's not the love interest. No, she's not. No, she's, she's like she's a, a matchmaker. A, yes, and she finds um, a lonely travel agent who's too busy for in work for work to find love. So she hooks him up with James Van der Beek. So she's like a human Tinder. Yes, she is. That's exactly what she is. Swipe your wand left. And, but it's that it's that that genre in particular. If, if you're being freelance, I'm home in the afternoons, mm. and you kind of <laughs> you kind of see these Channel Five um, Christmas movies, and there's tons of them. Then that they absolutely um, pedal them out. So it's um, I, I show that whole genre to, to people. Films that Tom Hanks turned down. Not even Tom Hanks. No. Steve Guttenberg turned these. <laughs> yeah, Steve Guttenberg turned these films down, and. Um, uh, they're they're fascinating viewing. They're absolutely fascinating. Okay, there's a lot lot of death, and it's interesting. One of the films we're talking about for review this week could well fit into this genre. Interesting. Oh. Which we'll come to. Starring Steve Utenberg. Yes. Um, in a pro- I don't know. Krampus might do it. Not because it's bad. It's brilliant. But I mean, if your in-laws are not into, you know, being. Actually, I was about to spoil the end of the film. I'm not going to do that. Uh, if uh, evil Santa Claus, uh, that that might do it. Or Love Actually. Now, now I love Love Actually. I know yeah. I'm on a limb there. Uh, as does uh, Empire Zedis as Terry White. But yeah. it's so morally repugnant to a great many people that I just actually think it might send people. I just going. think it's fascinating the hatred that film evokes. Mm. It's to me, it seems such a benign thing. Well, it's Andrew Lincoln, isn't it? It's the whole Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley, Chiwetel Ejiofor really wrong love triangle that really gets people's goat. That's the whole thing that 
that, that sparks people off. Just yeah. that one thing. Because it's, the way he reacts is awful, and then the way she reacts to him is awful. And it's just, I mean, I, I, yeah. I love the film, but even I can see but, that that's. A bit as wrong. everybody always says, Emma Thompson is brilliant in that movie. She is brilliant. So that cancels it out, doesn't it? So yeah. we're all good. She might be the only one, but she is. Uh, this up. happens every day at Christmas at Empire, doesn't it? Like somebody mm. mentions love actually, and then within 20 minutes, there's people just clawing each other's eyes yeah. out. I know I, lo- I, I love love actually. Spirit of Christmas debate mm. eat a debate what about you Phil what what Iranian drama would you put on well you Christmas? laugh I think this has been raised before but there was a Christmas not too many years ago when I did actually put on The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant in the spirit of improving cinema um, and that drove never mind the in-laws the family the whole lot of them everyone left pretty them much there. out Wow. The house. It's almost I, hard to believe. Into the snowy wilds. Yeah, I did that once. Um, uh, for Christmas, I got uh, a copy of the, on vinyl, so long ago this was, of the, the Draftsman's Contract soundtrack Ooh. by Michael, Michael Nyman. Nyman. right. And I made my family listen to it on Christmas Day right. in the evening. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of excommunicated ever since. Never been wow. is it quite? Is that quite a jarring audio feast? Yeah, it is. The, the last track is a 12-minute dirge. So oh, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I have very indulgent parents. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess the Shane Black, depending on your in-laws, I think I might say that none of us have in-laws, and we won't be experiencing this situation firsthand, but um, in-laws coming around on Christmas Day. But... Uh, I would imagine that maybe some of the Shane Black films might, if you really want to drive them away. Oh, you wouldn't drive anyone away I with that. I don't know. If they're, if they're anything... I don't know if they've no. got conservative taste. Iron Man yeah. 3, you're not going to drive anyone away. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I just think if you want to get rid of them, irreversible. Well, yeah, it's nothing to do, do with it. Christmas, but damn. No, do it. You know, do the trick. If, yeah, if you're having Christmas problems... Gasper Noe every time every time there you go yeah. there's your answer yeah, just, is, just put baubles a, around the telly and a bit of art house stuff to fill there but has, mm. has anyone you know have you seen the meme with the Christmas hat is this a thing you've seen no what's no? that no, it's what's like it? a drinking game meme where so you get a Christmas hat mm. and you put it on the corner of the telly and every time action happens in a film which syncs up with a person on screen so it looks like they're wearing the hat you have to have a drink so it's that very specific particular shot where they're in the very corner of the frame looking into like away from the camera and to the side so it looks like they're wearing the hat that has got to be drink. very precise isn't it that's it has got to be, be quite <laughs> precise and I imagine there's a lot of margin for error but uh, that's a thing you could do with your family because it'd probably be an A&E after a while that's, inc- that's incredibly specific it is I've never heard of that. that well this is the internet for you this is the shit that goes on Hmm. Okay, I'll give that a whirl too. Um, remember, if you'd like to have a question read out on the Empire podcast, usually as a preamble to about 20 minutes of minus jibber-jabber, please get in touch with us via Twitter at the hashtag EmpirePodcast, or you can message us on Facebook. Username is Empire Magazine, or email us at podcast at EmpireOnline.com. Um, right, should we have some filmic news? Fantastic. All Trailers. Right. There's a lot of trailers. All about the trailers this week. And it all happened mm. during the Empire Christmas party. So we uh, we left the office uh, of an afternoon and went and did a weird mystery game thing. But the less said about that, the better. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and during that time, not only did the John Wick 2 trailer drop, but also the first Blade Runner trailer. Yeah, which is terrific. And... Uh- they were both awesome. Yeah, I, I went to the. Um, there was a press screening of Passengers mm. on on Monday night, and before it, they showed the Blade Runner trailer. Did people lose on, their shit on the big screen on the IMAX side screen? Ooh. That's terrific. It's absolutely terrific. See, it for me, it feels like Blade Runner, just like the look. The yeah, but it feels design. a little different as well. It, it, yeah, it, it has its own feel like a slavish. It, it feels time has passed, doesn't it? it yeah, has, but it has the Vangelis in there. That kind of you know, yeah, feeling yeah. to it. But but here's the thing: I am less excited that it's Blade Runner. And more excited that it's just Denis Villeneuve. Is that weird? No. I'm no. like, he excites me more than the fact that it's a Blade Runner film. I thought it was an interesting choice to start with some of Ford's voiceover, mm. which is so maligned. Mm. Yeah, in, exactly. In certain quarters. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll start with that yeah. and see how Let's that goes. It, but it won't be in the final cut of the film. No. No. Uh. Have you seen Ensemble's yet? I have. I just actually. like saying the name. You do of that like film. saying it. I don't really you? like saying yeah. Ensemble's. Ensemble's is still his best film. It's is a great it? film. I yeah. That's the yeah. one I haven't seen. Yeah. Blistering film. Yeah. But you're right, he is just knocking him out of the park. Not put a foot wrong. So, um, John, why don't you tell us about what you thought of John Wick 2? Oh, I loved it. 
I loved it. It was a rip-roaring rampage of revenge. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, Phil's screwing up his face. You've got your... This is like Dan Jolin's not on the podcast. You are assuming the mantle of Dan in this case. Oh, Dan, hater of kind of vigilante porn. Yes. Uh, hater of Death it's Wish death Taken. Equaliser. It's not. It's Death Wish for champions. It's um, it's amazing. It's got gun-fu. It's got amazing action. He's this larger-than-life brilliant persona. It's got a dog, and the dog, you know, seems to be alive, and that's good. Um, no, I loved it. because you, yeah, you were on set, I was on set. I was on set for one of the sequences which you see in the trailer, which is the Hall of Mirrors sequence, uh, which is quite exciting. Um, Yeah, no, I'm a a big fan of John Wick and uh, very, very excited about this film. Um, And you got to see a lot more in this trailer than you did in the first one. So the idea is that, you know, obviously he's come out of retirement in, at the end of the first film he's approached to do a job and he says no and it goes badly for him uh, and uh, I, I, I like the idea you know we're going to open an account that account is John Wick and it's that really interesting idea that all the assassins in the world are now going to try and kill John Wick and he's clearly going to kill all of them it's going to be amazing <laughs> and that sequence between him and Common it's like are you here on business he's like I'm afraid so <laughs> I so love this. cool James is acting out trailers for us so, yeah. so I, next up is the emoji trailer yeah, right. emoji movie trailer do you want to try that one yeah, how do I contort my features into the poo emoji? Um, I didn't watch the emoji trailer, I'll be honest with you, but I suspect it will be tongue out, eyes closed, praise hands, Christmas tree, poo. Well, it was a bold... No, I did watch it. It was a bold gambit because everybody's obviously approaching this film with a sense of deep trepidation and they've gone with the met emoji as their kind of... With a really... How ironic. With a really downbeat kind of voiceover... And that's sort of playing into what everybody is assuming of the film as it stands. Can you tell me what the film's about? No, I've got a clue. Does anyone know? No. 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 It looks, I mean, you can't tell much from the teaser, but it looks a bit like a kind of, they're kind of like Monsters Inky type of characters. But I mean, is this in fact something that we've not seen coming and really, it's a really sort of nasty, gritty serial killer film where the killer leaves emojis on every body, like burned into their flesh or something, and that's the film and no one realises? What, with like the water pistol? Possibly. Yeah. John Wick style. Yeah, and it's like the clues he leaves are emojis at every crime scene. An emoji exploitation movie. Yeah. That it's hard to it. say at this point. It didn't look like it from a distance. Yeah, I think so. But maybe maybe the, the full-blown trailer will be an orgy of bloodletting. Yeah, like seven, but with more smiley faces. It will literally make you poo emoji yourself. Yeah. I don't know. But it's very hard to say. They're keeping their... They're keeping their whatever they've got under their sleeves, under wraps, for the time being. Wow. I don't know. It looks. I mean, it does look like the sort of coming apocalypse from a distance, but I just... Uh, I guess we have to wait and see. Here's the thing. How is it that emojis have suddenly become socially acceptable, but emoticons are somehow frowned upon? Like, there's there's snobbery in the kind of smiley face grammar of, of punctuating text messages. I don't know. That's a very good question. Yeah, is, like, there, is, is, there there still, is there still snobbery, or is that just in your house? No, no, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Really? This is the thing. Like, people, like, look down. If you do the little, like, yeah, yeah. colon bracket smiley Winky. face thing, you're a yeah. twat. But if you do a proper emoji, somehow, oh, you're being terribly millennial and conversational and expressing emotion through... Te- and it's like, so much so that my phone tries to force me to use emojis when I'm typing because it it suggests emojis as autocorrect I'm not sure that's just your phone like if you write house it gives you a little picture oh thanks because I didn't know what a house looked like brilliant why don't I delete the word that I've just painstakingly typed to put in this stupid picture instead Phil's phone has got an Imal Bergman emoji (laughs) (laughs) like a grim reaper (laughs) or or a chess piece (laughs) (laughs) every time you type the seventh seal it just replaces it with a pause seven seals (laughs) the end of each text message is 17 lines of just blankness just to represent the existential state of man. Wow. What, what is the nihilism emoji? The nihilism emoji is... Um, what would that be? What would that be? Um, just a gaping void. There is the, the Munch of... one, isn't there? There's the one where... Oh, the scream. Like, yeah, yeah, the scream. So yeah. I, I use that quite a lot. I can well imagine. Instead of kisses. Yeah. <laughs> you end your text with a scream. <laughs> wow. Um, the... More news, Dick Van Dyke. Yes, Dick Van Dyke. Dick oh, Van Dyke. Is he here? What? Is, he, is he in the room? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's, he's joining the cast of the Mary Poppins. Yes, uh, reboot, uh, updates, reloaded, reloaded. Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, reloaded. Reloaded. Yeah. Mary Poppins revolutions. Yeah, he is. Um, do you so think that's he'll... Emily Blunt uh, and Linwell Miranda, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Although, although. Um, <clears throat> Dick Van Dyke called him that guy from Hamilton because he'd sort of forgotten but 
Um, do do we, we know? Is he reprising his role? Do we know? Uh, I believe he is making okay. an appearance as Bert. Okay. So, so this is one. This is where Bert's aged, and Mary Poppins is immortal. Is that what we're saying? Um, yeah. Let me read out what we have. She's okay. like the Wolverine of nannies. So, yes, Dick Van Dyke says uh, this one supposedly takes place twenty years later, and the kids are all grown up. Um, he has said that he's going to be in London in the spring to do his role and he gets to do a little song and dance number that's all we know well, there we great go. I don't with think or without be... penguins that's to be decided yeah um, are we excited about this film are we going to just the film yeah definitely yeah, yeah. again em- I'm not Emily convinced Bunce. Emily Bunce great yeah I'm not convinced this isn't another horror film as well <laughs> You know, like mm. it's a, it's an abduction. A bit like Prisoners. You've seen the you've Disney seen Zilner. the Mary, Mary Poppins trailer recut as a horror film. Have you seen that? I didn't think it needed recutting. <laughs> didn't she appear on our list of the greatest villains? This is you know. Yeah, that was this just, is a thing. That was controversial, wasn't it? it possibly slightly. <laughs> um, and James Franco joins. The, what do we know? What tense to approach? Because Alien Covenant is now wrapped. Yeah, and we're yeah. saying he joins, presumably so, joined before. So it they've, shot. they've just announced the fact that mm. he's he's in the film, or it's a prank. And they've got him along, but they've like, we've finished. Sorry. <laughs> it's like an elaborate ruse. Right. Didn't you guys see 10 minutes of it? We did. Yes, I did. Did how, you? How yeah. was that? I saw a bunch of it. I, I can't remember what I'm allowed to say, so I'm not going to go into any details lest I be murderised by Fox. But um, yes, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. There was, there was blood, I will tell you that. Okay. There was blood and the deading of people. Okay. Mm. And the tone? Were there aliens in it? You allowed to say that? There were there were things in it that were not entirely human. That's the extent of what I'm going to say. Okay. Lest the eye of Sauron turn upon me and burst into flames. Um, yes, interesting times. Interesting times. It's a, it's a curious one. I was a I was a, a, a Prometheus apologist. I really enjoyed Prometheus. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to this. God. I know a lot of people didn't. You're wrong about so many things today, <laughs> as we will discover to a greater extent later on. Uh, but uh, yes, yes, so it would seem. But no, Prometheus was interesting. It was a good as as a kind of standalone hard sci-fi film. I thought it had lots to uh, commend it. Uh, what I didn't think it worked as was as a, a part of the Alien franchise. So if you take it out of that, I think it works well. This one feels more rooted in the Alien franchise, so it may be the Prometheus that people wanted from Prometheus, if that makes sense. Very good. That sounds like uh, something I'd like to see. Yeah. I definitely did not want to see a Prometheus 2, so that's all to the good. Okay. Um, Some box office news. We don't normally get our calculators out here, but it's worth mentioning, unsurprisingly, despite the boycott Rogue One Star Wars nonsense, um, that Rogue One has made a shit ton of cash. Um, in uh, its first weekend in the uh, entire world, actually. Do we know, what's its worldwide gross at the moment? It's uh, just under 300 million US yeah. uh, as of sort of its first week, basically. So we're looking at, I think Disney's looking at a $7 billion year, which is... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. So if they don't bring us all individually presents uh, this year, then something's gone awry. Um, but I think slightly more interesting is the the Great Wall uh, story. Um Obviously, Zhang Jimu's new martial art sci-fi. It's Lord of the Rings, Lord of, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Walls. fantasy yeah. with Matt Damon. Matt Damon. So it's a, it's a kind of, it's got an eye on all markets, isn't it? It's got an eye on the American market and it's got an eye on the Chinese market. Yeah. Can you have more than four quadrants? No, I suppose <coughs> not. But it's like double four quadrants. It's, it's many, many quadrants. Do they use ladders to climb the wall? I haven't seen the film. Could, it, could it be, be Lord of the Rungs? Oh, Very good. Very good. <laughs> That isn't actually too bad. Um, and that's made 60 million US, I think, in China in its opening, which would, I guess, I mean, it does. this seems to be a grand cinematic experiment in terms of what a US star can do in China and what China can do over here. So, yeah. Um, and with, with those kind of results, it'll be the future, I think. There'll, there'll be more of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks that way. And it opens in UK in February, February 17th, I think. Good to know. And uh, lastly, um, if you are in the, I think the Chicago area, um, you will be able to visit Bill Murray's new Caddyshack restaurant. What's that? Which is probably the big cinematic news of the week. It's, yeah, ca- it's called Caddyshack. And the Murray, because Bill Murray's not the only Murray, there's several brothers. And okay. They have set up a restaurant called Caddyshack 
in World Golf Village in St. Augustine, Florida. So that's absolutely nowhere near Chicago. Um, <laughs> if you've got access to a Chicago O'Hare airport and you can fly <laughs> down to Florida, you can visit it. It's open seven days a week. This is a massive plug for Bill Murray's new restaurant. Um, on the menu, there is no gopher, confit gopher, say. unfortunately. Um, but it looks like he's got some basically delicious uh, American-style food and pizzas um, with a... A picture of the gopher on the menu. A picture of the gopher on the menu. So for the for the caddy shack hardcore aficionado. Are you, are you surprised there's not like a cantina restaurant? Well, well you can enough, go 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 and eat with you know Phil Grindan and Modal Nodes playing <laughs> in the background. Ponda Barber harasses you at the bar. You yeah, know, that kind yeah, of and that, all that kind of experience. Well, where the you can, closest thing they ever had was. Did you go to the Secret Cinema? Empire Strikes Back I didn't know well the secret cinema Empire Strikes Back which they did down in where was it it was Nissan somewhere in this big warehouse thing where incidentally they shot sequences from Avengers Age of Ultron just throwing that out there Um, they had a replica of the cantina there Right. You could not buy blue milk because I asked. Right. They did have beer, which I don't recall being on the menu in the cantina in the film. Yeah. But um, but yeah, they kind of recreated it quite well, and lo- lots of people were kind of cosplaying in there as the different characters and stuff, and they had the music playing on a loop. It was kind so of. So why isn't that a franchise? Or a, maybe, I guess when you go to well, when you go to Star Wars World in well, Disney, when that, ha- when that happens, you, that would be a almost certainly. Like if you've yeah. ever been to these theme parks, I mean, all the restaurants. If you go to Universal Studios, there's like Moe's in the Simpsons area, and there's well, there's a Krusty Burger van. So there's almost certainly at Star Wars World going to be a cantina restaurant yeah you'd be mental not to there might be the Outlander nightclub from Attack of the Clones <laughs> right in there yeah. well, well, yeah. someone comes up and tries to sell you death sticks exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing it's like just I'm going to slightly sidetrack there when I went to Secret Cinema there's a guy like an alien guy when you go in and because you arrive on a ship there's a whole role play yeah. thing you're in your costume and you turn up and uh, there was a guy on the door and he gives you loads of hassle and grief and asks to see your papers and he goes show me your identification and I did the whole hand wave and said, you don't need to see my identification. And he, and he didn't play along with it. He went, yes, I do. Show me your identification. I was like, no, hang on a minute. Hang on. I'm clearly dressed as a Jedi. Throw me a bone here. Give me something to work this with. This is David Brent goes yeah. to Star Wars. It's like, it's like, come on, play your role. To which he probably should have said, I'm a Tonderi and my tricks don't work on me. But he didn't. It's possible we've gone off track. Let's let's steer it back. What were we talking about? It's hard to say. We were talking about the Caddyshack restaurant. Ah, yes. Caddyshack well, we've done restaurant. that now. So should yeah. we talk about the new issue of Empire? We can only talk a little bit about the new issue of Empire because it remains a Christmas secret. It does. Some of it. Okay. We can, we can tease, show a bit of its ankle, should we say. Okay. Yes. And when it is it an amazing... Sale, we can say it's an amazing issue. It's on sale... On the... It's on sale next Thursday. It's on sale next <laughs> Thursday, he says. Next Thursday, which would be... Checks, phone, hang on. Thursday, the, 20- the 29th, 29th of December, 2016. Exactly. It will be on so sale. So you're in your post-Turkey stupor. That's right. You're, oh, yeah. you, you've recovered from yes. your Christmas Day hedonism. You've watched Mrs. Miracle on television. You have. And it, possibly love, actually. It's not a spoiler to say that this is an absolute dozy of an issue. I really love it. it, it, it I haven't it's, read it yet. It's, it's more of a doozy than dozy, but I'll, I'll you know, it's not boring. Yeah. Doozy, um, dozy, So whatever. I think what we can say is that it's kind of... It's kind of one of the things leading it off is the the preview. Yes, there's a 2017 preview with a fantastic image of King Kong Skull Island. Yes, which is amazing. And basically, any film you should see in 2017 is in this preview. Uh, Nick DeSamlin busted his ass getting a heroic amount of exclusives into it. It's very much worth reading. It is in many ways your essential guide to next year. Yes, so, and I did an interview with the director of the most essential film of next year. Oh, did you? Wow, really? Mm. I thought you said you didn't know anything about the Emoji Movie. <laughs> Boom. Very good. Um, it needs uh, other great things in that yeah. issue. Um, uh, Chris Stewart, who usually kind of tits about in here, done a couple <laughs> of fantastic things. He's done um, a great interview with Cameron Crowe yes, for Joe Maguire, which is kind of taking you through all the kind of classic beats of Joe Maguire and getting Crowe to talk about it. He also got together Walter Hill, the director of The Driver, and Edgar Wright, the director of Baby Driver, to talk about uh, Hill's 1978 classic, The Driver. And that's a fantastic read. That's and terrific. This is like the spiritual successor to our French Connection piece, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. where Chris Hewitt gets an older filmmaker and a newer filmmaker and gets them to talk great stuff. And has and to pick up the lunch check. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a brilliant read. Those two, those three things you just mentioned are absolutely magic. And All they're not even the main event, but we can't tell you what that is. There's so much more. Yes, so, much more. Um, so stumble out after you finish watching your terrible Christmas movies yes and pick it up pick next it up. Thursday and we will give you more details in the next podcast in the new year but you will have it by then anyway 
So that'd be pointless. So that will be. But we'll do it anyway. We will do. Being pointless has never stopped us. Um, (laughs) Should we have a guess? Go for it. Uh, You may know this week's guest best as Eric Lenshear, Magneto himself. You may know him as an uncannily intense Steve Jobs in the movie The Same Name or Prometheus's Android David. If you're a really long-term fan of his, you may know him as the bloke in the background in Band of Brothers. But things have never been better for Michael Fassbender. He's got two Oscar nominations to his name, his pick of plum rolls, and no one has mentioned his penis in a public forum for a good two years now. (laughs) Um, And as Alien Covenant, that we've already mentioned, and his new movie, Assassin's Creed, prove he's so good they're casting him in movies twice now. We went along and had a chat with the man himself. Oh, I had to run here, so I'm a bit out of breath. I didn't parkour. I should have parkour here. <laughs> I should have taken a leaf out of your book. Up to the fifth floor. Yeah. In Claridge's. <laughs> Through the window. Yeah. <laughs> Set down my equipment in one ah. fell swoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what would happen. Look at the state of me. I couldn't Can even get two feet off the ground. Uh, okay. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Michael Fassbender, star and producer of Assassin's Creed. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Um, I don't even remember. The last time I saw you, you were just about at the start I think the final intense preparation for this we shared a flight back from X-Men Apocalypse That's right. to London and you were you were whisked off to Pinewood yes. to, to start this movie uh, at what point at what point were you in that preparation had you had you fully parkoured had you fully become one with, with that technique um, I definitely sort of had my introduction to it um, you know there were so many things going on still while I was in Montreal it was sort of script um, stuff the parkour element, just the sort of in general sort of um, physical conditioning. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was sort of already, you know, deep in it. I mean, I had been deep in it for five years, really. It was 2011 when I first met the guys from Ubisoft. We didn't have a script then. Uh, and we just sort of started from scratch. Plus yeah. the fact that we were, you know, we were developing brand new characters and a brand new regression timeline we didn't want to take anything that was already in the gaming universe because yeah. we kind of wanted to set up our own yeah. camp outside of that um, so everything was from scratch that's amazing so it's been five years so I guess at that point when you were being whisked away to, to start the final countdown to filming was there a bit of a pinch me moment this is actually Jesus this is happening this- yeah it was just you know um not even the time to do that, to be honest. It was yeah. just, it was all encompassing, you know. Uh, like I say, if I wasn't working on script elements, I was doing the parkour, I was, you know, um, just physical conditioning, then I was going, d- jumping straight in with the stunts, the fight choreography, uh, uh, you know, discussions with Justin. It was really all immersive, so I didn't even have a chance to stop and go, we're filming it. Uh, there were moments where I thought, Inevitably, you know, you think, wow, we're physicalizing this now. This was sort of a, mm. a you know, a brain bubble at one point, And now here we are um, in Malta and 40 degree heat and, uh, and running on the roofs in Valletta. So it was, yeah. In those clothes. That's a nice moment, you know, when, yeah. when that happens. In those clothes. Fantastic costume, though, I've got to say. And not only did it look, does it look great, it was, it was very user-friendly. Mm. Uh, in terms of you know what we had to do sort of physically in the fights and and the parkour the running uh, it was as comfortable as it can be but hot I mean I think I drank like 10 litres of water and I never went to the toilet so that gives you an idea (laughs) (laughs) of what was going on is that because you had a special pouch in your costume that's because I had the special pouch the the catheter The assassin's catheter. Yeah, it's key. Not many people know that, but every assassin's got a catheter. Uh, listen, Can't these, stop. You don't have time to pee. Precisely. These guys have got to be lying in wait for maybe, what, hours, sometimes days. That's right. You can't, you can't give yourself away. You That's can't. right. You have to poop yourself. <laughs> and you've got to do it well, in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that you're not downwind or upwind or, or whatever right. it is. That would give you away, actually. <laughs> that would absolutely Just when everything away. was going well, it was... Uh, <laughs> That odor, which gave the assassin away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, Fassbender's in the vicinity again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's around. Uh, so the, the costumes for this were designed by uh, Sammy Sheldon. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Uh, you'd worked with her before. That's she right. Was, uh, she worked in X-Men. X-Men first, first class, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so talented. And again, you know, we had references from the games in terms of the costume, but 
you know, to translate them onto a sort of, you know, a cinematic scale is, is, is a difficult thing to do. And uh, she kept a sort of, you know, a DNA, if you like, of the mm-hmm. costumes, but then came up with, with, her, with her own sort of flair on it. She did a great job. So, uh, obviously, you'd worked with Justin Kurtzel before. Yeah. Were you cherry-picking people from your, your career? Is that basically what you, you would you'd be working with people and you'd go, hmm, maybe one day. Yeah. Get assassins off the ground. Yeah, well, we were kind of halfway through Macbeth, and I just thought, this guy is a perfect fit. I just thought, I was, I, I, I was witnessing what he was doing with the resources that we had on Macbeth and how he could stretch them. Uh, and uh, his relationship with Adam Arkapaw, the DP, mm. a very special one. Uh, just the realism that, that Justin brings to, to anything that he embarks on. Well, certainly with the experience that we had in Macbeth, we were, he was very conscious of not having a theatrical version of it to ground it very much in a, in a realism. <clears throat> and his relationship to violence and the way he depicts it on screen, I knew... Uh, it was a very sort of he's a he's a very visceral filmmaker, mm. so I knew it would lend very well to this world. Uh, you weren't necessarily a fan of the game. You you weren't even really aware of it that much, were you? you? I wasn't other other than the the posters and yeah. and the stuff that I'd seen on TV. You know, mm. in terms of trailers for the for the game, and I you know it did catch my eye. I have to say, I was I was quite intrigued by it, and there was an element of danger and mystery to it that. Um, that definitely caught my eye, but other than that, I was totally ignorant, and mm. um, and it, it was just the one one lunch meeting I had with Ubisoft. They started to explain it to me, you know, the world of Templars, you know, what they stand for, this elite group of people in the world who uh, are very powerful and very very wealthy, and essentially run the world. Yeah. Uh, and they believe in science and order, and they also believe that some humans are more valuable than others, and in fact, some should be enslaved. And then the flip side of that, you've got assassins who believe that free will should be maintained and protected at all costs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and actually, the original assassins are Adam and Eve, who, um, who basically took free will and took that choice to pluck the apple off the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing so, started this whole war between these two ideologies. Um, I was like, wow, that's, that's a really interesting conflict and, yeah. and, and very interesting sort of uh, ideologies at play there uh, and that, they, that, that these two groups would be sort of battling it out for the future of humanity. I thought that's mm. going to be cool. And then the animus, this sort of, I've been calling it uh, sort of a uh, sort of genetic DeLorean. It's like this sort of <laughs> genetic time machine that will yeah. allow us to explore different uh, times in history. Yeah. And, and, you know, within this case, it's the Spanish Inquisition. And it's kind of, again, fun to sort of manipulate our understanding of what was happening then. So what seems to be, appears to be some form of religious cleansing is actually... Right got more political intrigue behind the, in the background between Templars and Assassins. Mm. And then the element of, of, of parkour, you know, that, yeah. that I knew that that would lend itself very, very well to, to action sequences. Absolutely. Especially, you know, the way that we went about filming them too. You know, Justin Curzel, again, bringing this realism to his work, uh, and we discussed it, that it was very important for us to do this in an old school sort of way. But that was really his vision, uh, that that you know we were you know in an era uh, you know nowadays we, we we see a lot of these kind of genre films that saturated with cgi and special effects so we wanted to go back to basics and and have real people fighting in real locations hanging off buildings jumping from building to building uh, with very little green screen and um and that was very rewarding to do but it was it, it was it was quite a challenge how much of it did you uh, do yourself I did 95% of the fighting myself, and then in mm-hmm. terms of the leaps and the jumps, as much as I could do and was allowed to do, really. Yeah. We did lose quite a few <laughs> stunt personnel along the way, to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. through broken ankles, leg injuries. Jeez. So it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty brutal at times. Wow. So you, you got a head for heights? You know, it it's funny, of- I've got a head for heights outside, but when we were doing stuff in the studio, I realized that I get kind of jittery. We'd set up these sort of um, scaffolded sort of platforms um, that would have been sort of maybe this height and half again. Lucky we're on radio, people can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so maybe like eight meter high sort okay. of... Um, um, 
platforms were erected. And okay. when I was standing on them, I got a little... I got a little freaked out, actually. The yeah. fact that the, I think maybe that the, the, the flooring underneath me wasn't totally stable or something. Wow. But I was fine away up in the top buildings in, in Valletta. Oh, really? Yeah. Even, you obviously had a cable. I'm guessing. I have a cable, yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. That's definitely. the big thing. No yeah. cable. And it's like, no, you're not getting me up there. Yeah, but even on the cables in the indoor, it was just the relationship that I had, I think, with what I was standing on. Yeah. That sort of freaked me out. Also doing some of the, you know, an Abstergo when I'm on the arm and I'm doing the nose dive towards the, the, the floor, mm-hmm. the ground. That took a little bit of nerve. The first jump was always a little, you know, bit of a sphincter moment. <laughs> it was sort of, you know, okay, hopefully the guy that's got me on the other end is not going <laughs> to let me nose dive in the ground. Uh, but they're, you know, we're the best people in the business doing it. So, but obviously you, you said you weren't a, a fan of the game when you when you were first told about it, really by by Ubisoft. Are you a fan of games at all? Are there things that you play? I am a fan of them. It's just, uh, you know, the thing is... You're busy. I, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> really it's not to say that other people don't have free time. It's just I've got other hobbies, hobbies that I'm desperately trying to improve on. And, uh, and whenever I have time off, I kind of invest in those. Okay. But, I, you know, I, I can be sucked into the, to a game pretty easily. But then I realize that I'll have to spend many hours before I get good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically die in the first 20 minutes of Assassin's Creed every time you play it is yeah that, I can't keep saying? running up the same wall I'm like no <laughs> we know this doesn't lead anywhere <laughs> that's, that's pretty much me that's pretty much me uh, turn somebody- around <laughs> <laughs> somebody attacking you or whatever I can barely turn on the Xbox in fairness yeah so, I'm pretty yeah. sort of bad I'm a technophobe <laughs> all around really oh, well, what are uh, some of the hobbies you're trying to improve are you trying to improve your golf swing what, what are you uh, golf you, I've given up on okay <laughs> I was a caddy for four years uh <laughs> So I understand the ins and outs of the games. I just don't think I've got the correct temperament for it. You were a caddy for four years? I was, yeah. Okay. Between the ages of 12 and 16. Um, Who did you caddy for? Oh, just golfers, really, mainly. <laughs> <laughs> it tends to be golfers. Mainly <laughs> golfers. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, anybody that came to Killarney um, Lynx Golf Course. Uh, How, really. Okay. How did that happen? Was I just uh, get some pocket money for the weekends? Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a you know holiday weekend job, um, uh-huh. and uh, you know you'd sit in the caddy shed and there you know there was card playing and um, and then you just sort of sit and wait until uh, until you get sort of called out. There was a list, priority list. I started off as a junior caddy, and by the time I finished, I was I was a senior caddy. And, <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, it was uh, it was a good education. Eight pounds around for a junior caddy and twelve pounds bad. around for a senior. That's not bad. Yeah, back in whatever that was ninety. Yeah, what is it ninety two or something? Like that? Yeah, but that was that was never the call in. There was never a, a chance that you might be caddying. When you might see you on the TV with Roy McIlroy. You know, that could be fun. Clubs. Uh, I have thought about that whenever I watched golf. I was like, well, I wonder <laughs> if I could continue down there. They should have some sort of pro am Assassin's Creed tournament. Or you could team up with, you know, celebrity gamers. I did caddy in a pro-am. The guy that I caddied for came second in the pro-am, actually. This is amazing. Yeah. This is amazing. I did not know this about you. Yeah. 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 The, the secret caddying past yeah. of Michael But Fox. I'm an awful golfer. I always send the ball off to the right. I'm always playing on the other course. So I'm always <laughs> playing on, like, you know, if I'm on the seventh, I'm playing on the one that's parallel to it. That's a bad one. Yeah, that I'm always on my own. Like, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm over here. That's a solitary pursuit. It's not good. And just one last thing. I mean, as this is a new path for you terms of Assassin's Creed and yeah. looking at the future as well. Uh, is Magneto in your past? I mean, X-Men Apocalypse came uh, came out this year. Uh, is that it for you in terms of those movies? As, as I don't know, career? to be honest. You know, I haven't made uh, any sort of decision on it because I, I have no idea what's what's happening next with the franchise, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and just one very, very last quick thing. I noticed throughout the movie, we won't give too much away, but I noticed throughout the movie that uh, people keep telling me that the apple is great. Mm. The, the apple, apple is, is everything. Important. Now, as a band, he's played Steve Jobs. Yeah. Is that important to you? Was the that... apple is everything, man. The apple is everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Alan Turing. Yeah, so many apples. It's a recurring motif. Yeah, yeah. I had apple juice this morning, actually. Well, there you go. Just to prepare myself. <laughs> <laughs> Just to cleanse. Just in case yeah, you have to stand in the corner for four hours. Exactly. And wait for All right, brilliant. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, Thank man. you so much. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. That was Michael Fassbender. Right, should we have some film reviews? Yes, we've got a few to get through. Let's get cracking with uh, the new Will Smith movie, uh, Collateral Beauty. It's been getting a bit of a pounding. Ian, what do you make of it? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I saw it, um, and it is getting a pounding. It's kind of getting a kind of a... Deservedly? 
it's a poor film. It is a poor film. Basically, Smith plays an advertising executive who's uh, grieving the loss of his daughter. And um, he writes letters to the free abstracts, Love, Death and Time. Now, his, his work colleagues notice this, intercept the letters and hire actors played by um, Helen Mirren, Kira Knightley and Jacob Lattimore to uh, act, to become these free abstracts and interact with him. Right. Thus, thus sort of giving him life lessons about where he's going wrong. Right. Uh, there's some nice performances. Helen Mirren uh, plays uh, Death and she gives, she gives it some nice, nice sort of shush. Uh, it's kind of a twinkly, it looks kind of twinkly and New York-y. But to be honest with you, it doesn't work. It's kind of mechanically done. It has subtle subtlety of a sledgehammer and and Smith is really I mean obviously his character's grieving so he's morose but he never really ever comes to life he's kind of sleepwalking through the whole movie so if you've ever seen Seven Pounds it's kind of that that's Will, <laughs> that, that Will Smith yeah. as opposed to the hitch Will Smith low energy kind of yeah plotting. really yeah it's that kind of thing um, so that's the sort of thing you'd expect to see on Channel 5 in the afternoon I think There's like, you know, it wants to be a heartwarming Christmas film and it really isn't Right. So two stars from Empire. So right. next year, next Christmas for the in-laws, that that will be a, a purge, that's a, that's purge a good, mechanism. That's a good shout. Right. What do you think Will... I mean, Suicide Squad obviously was a bit of a hit um, and he had a prominent role in it, but what do you think Will Smith needs now to really kind of revitalise himself in his It's career? interesting that he chose not to do the Independence Day reboot. Now, maybe in, in hindsight, that's a good move in yeah. terms of what happened to it, but you would think something that, that people find him, you know, beloved in... A bit fun. Would, yeah. Hmm. so something fun would be good yeah I think they both probably would have benefited from yeah and he has been that. he can do serious you think of him in Ali and, and other things and pursuit he can, of happiness and he can do that kind of thing so um, hopefully he'll come good soon cool so we've given that two stars yep. for collateral beauty um, next one up is uh, another pair of movie stars um, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence there was a lot of talk about um, passengers having these massive paychecks attached to it but it's, it's interesting because this film is also getting a bit of a critical kicking that's from, an understatement uh, and it seems again it just doesn't warrant it it really doesn't uh, I'm defending this one if if one goes on to Rotten Tomatoes you will see me standing alone <laughs> on a hill amidst the sea of sort of marauding marauders um, I gave this film four stars uh, passengers and I really really liked it I seem to be in the minority but if you have a soul you should agree with me. That's my position on this. Um, so what's the setup? Let's talk about this. Yeah. This is a film that's been floating around for ages. It's, it was on the blacklist in 2007. Um, and it is a, uh, it's, uh, it's directed by, um, by uh, Morton Tilden of uh, uh, Imitation Game fame. Yep, Headhunters. Uh, indeed. Uh, and it stars Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence as, for all intents and purposes, the last two human beings alive. Essentially, they're on a, on a, a colony ship. Heading, uh, heading from Earth to New Earth, like a new uh, a new home where they're going to set up shop. Homestead Two, Homestead Two, and given the state of the world at the moment, I shall be joining them next time it sets sail. Um, and the journey takes a hundred and twenty years, mm. so it's you know it's a it's it's not a red eye. It's a it's a long it's a long journey, um, and they're all in hibernation for the duration, except they wake up early. And with 90 years left to go on the clock, they are the only two people on this ship. Now, there is much more to the story than that, but that is all I can say without ruining the film. But it essentially becomes, and I said this in a review, to my mind, a very, very traditional romance film. You know, they fall in love, they go on dates, you know, they have dinner, they go to the movies, you know. It's an interesting evolution of their relationship from strangers to partners. And I really like... Uh, I, I really love it. I thought the two of them are adorable there. I mean, they are second only to Gosling and Stone, in my eyes, for on-screen chemistry. Uh, and, and I found it very touching, and, and I thought it had an emotional honesty to it. And again, the reasons for that are difficult to go into, but there is a lot more to their relationship. It's not entirely based on honesty, and there are some there are some dark secrets uh, sort of floating below the surface. And I thought that particular aspect of it had an, had an emotional honesty that, Pratt in particular played very well and I won't say this is like the best he's ever been but I think it showed more range for him than you see in most of his films yeah. in that he played it quite quiet and quite still and quite conflicted and quite tortured uh, and I very much enjoyed that um, this uses the, uh, the the Titanic paradigm in that it's part love story part disaster movie and obviously there's lots and lots of uh, things with the ship that they have to fix and there's excitement in there as well uh, yeah there's, but, there's fantastic stuff from uh, she goes swimming yes and the anti-grav goes that's and, right 
zero degree nearly yeah. drowning is quite full on. Yeah. Um, it takes infinity pool yeah. to a whole new... I, I, I kind of preferred the first half when they're dating. Yeah. I think the second half is a little bit shonky for me. Oh, I, I, uh, I enjoyed the second half stuff. I thought it was very good. And I, and I, but I get your point. And I, and I really enjoyed uh, Michael Sheen as the robot bartender. Yeah. Uh, he's loads of fun. Yeah. So I, I was on set of this movie. Yeah. And um, I was at the scene that, that their first date... And there's a lot more to that when they go on their date. Um, there's, they have a, a conversation about what they call their autobiographies and all that's gone. Uh, it's, it's a fun scene to watch. And it's a shame that some of that's gone. Uh, uh, but I, yeah, it seems that this film has generated a lot of hate and I'm not entirely sure that any of it was warranted. Uh, it's the new love, actually, perhaps. Um, yeah, maybe. But yeah, it's a lot, but I, I thought it was fantastic. I think definitely go and see it. The performances are great. There's there's lots to love here. It's not just sappy romance. There's lots of other yeah. stuff in there as well. But, you know... And there's a lot of filmmaking craft as well. If you're, I if think you're so, into, yeah. into cinematography and visual effects... It's beautiful, there's beautifully shot. Yeah. And yeah. the set design is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. Design that. But it, it felt, I felt, I mean, just to continue the Titanic thing it feels a lot like that to me like Titanic was like roundly panned by everyone in terms of people like backlashed against it almost instantly and then went and saw it three or four times Yeah, you know and it, it strikes me as that kind of film where maybe if people like it they don't want to say they like it I don't yeah. know go and see it but yeah it's also it's got this great idea at the centre isn't it that, yeah. that do we fall in love with people because we fall in love with their innately yeah. or do we fall in love with people just because of convenience yeah because they're the and only prox- person alive and proximity <laughs> yeah and that's a nice idea for a yeah. film I think and it, the film does a good job of exploring that yeah but uh, if you could uh, if you could watch it and then say how great it is it would certainly make me feel a lot better standing alone as I am on this yes, hill at James Dyer yeah thanks <laughs> tweet me and tell got, me you liked it got any warm words for Prometheus as well now might be the time <laughs> um Next up, it's not Christmas without a devout slice of Catholic guilt from Martin Scorsese. Ian Freer, tell us about yes. Silence. Merry Christmas, Hooray. everyone. <laughs> yeah. So this is Scorsese's passion project. It's been on the cards for almost 30 years, I think. Um, uh, it's set in 17th century Japan. It's two Jesuit priests, uh, played by Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. They set out to find Father Ferreira. Uh, played by Liam Neeson, who's their mentor, and he's kind of gone uh, missing and reputedly committed apostasy, which is renouncing his faith. So they go off in a mission like Apocalypse Now and try and find him. And um, Apostasy uh, Now. Yes, exactly. And they kind of um, uh, get sidetracked on the way, getting involved with the secret Christians uh, in Japan. And um, it's a very serious film. Uh, it's beautiful to look at. It's by the cinematographer of Passengers, who's had a great week this week, um, yes, Rodrigo Prieto. And um, uh, it's a very challenging film. It's it's a long film. It's kind of very serious, and um, but deeply, deeply kind of moving and spiritual and full of big ideas. And um, if you stick with it, it pays you back. I think it's terrific. It sounds like an incredibly kind of like a film. You need to let it wash over you. Just go with it. it it's a film that you you kind of need to to stick with in a way. It's not an easy watch. Um, uh, Basically, in the second half, uh, Driver and Garfield get separated, and there are scenes that the, the kind of the journey of Garfield's uh, faith uh, plays out in scenes that become very similar. And some people might lose patience with that, but um, uh, it ends in a way you wouldn't suspect. And um, I think it's terrific. It's you know. now when the trailer for this film came out, there was lots of uh, should we say back talk about the various accents. I believe reading someone said that it, it felt like it was the uh, character select screen on Super Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> does, is that something that's it, an it, issue? It, or that's never an issue for right. me. I, I don't. You know, I, I think you it's semi Andrew Garfield. It's not. <laughs> no, it's no. not. No, it's not that. Um, or it's not. Adam Driver's not like that. Um, but there's some some great. Japanese actors in, mm-hmm. in this as well so that, that that kind of stuff's done all very sincerely and um, uh, I think you know it's a tough start to the new year but a very very strong one Good stuff. we've given that four stars for silence four stars um, and lastly uh, almost lastly almost lastly A Monster Calls which I saw a little while back and, and loved it's Juan Antonio Bayona of course of the yep. possible fame um, and it's an adaptation of I guess um it's a somewhere between child and young adult fantasy, illustrated fantasy novel. Um, I guess that's important because if you're going to have a criticism of this film, which is about death and grief and loss, and it's quite confronting in the way that it, it, it portrays it with a sort of Pan's Labyrinth creature at its, ho- at its core, this tree monster who befriends a boy who's uh, facing up to the potential loss of his mother, played by Felicity Jones. 
and uh, it's that it's it, it there's not a lot of um, comfort in this film. But no, it, but I don't think it. I don't think it's a child's film at all. No, it's a great. It's a well, film. It's this film. Yeah. from Patrick Ness's novel is kind of might be a yes, uh, kind of somewhere in between that children and young adult thing. I just think this is a film for grown ups. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think. Well, let's come on to that in a sec. But I, I think first of all, it's just it's a really moving, emotional piece of of work. Yeah, um, and it is it is a film that really tackles um, you know grief and loss head on um, mm. without using you know euphemisms or metaphors it really just comes at it confrontingly um, a little bit like Manchester by the Sea um, it's very moving it's quite a quiet film in some ways but it, it explodes into these big kind of visual yeah. um, visual fantasy uh, segments where where the boy who's terrifically played the boy who's terrifically a terrific newcomer Lewis, Lewis McDougall mm. um, basically encounters Liam Neeson the Liam Neeson tree monster um, <laughs> who takes him and tries to teach him um, sort of in, important lessons. I don't want to get into the particulars of that because no, it's quite. A, but it's also it's a film about storytelling as well, yeah, isn't it? Without yes, it giving, is. Giving too much away, it gets into into the nature of that. Yeah, it is. Um, I thought it was really lovely. Um, four stars we gave that one. But yeah, going back to who it's for, I guess that's the challenge. No, I, yeah, I think uh, Del Toro is a good reference point for it. If if you if you're into that sort of mixture of fantasy and grown-upness then I think you know yeah this, but, this kind of, I was going to say Pan's Labyrinth is one you really can't take kids to because it's an incredibly it's violent it's, it's an incredibly fantasy. violent film at times um, although it has this kind of Tolkien fantasy at its core this one I think you probably could take you know maybe not your youngest but you could take your kids too potentially um, but you'd be looking at sitting down with them for a good hour and a half afterwards and just talking them down from, yeah be prepared to have some, some yeah. tough conversations I think you know, yeah. once you're done but you know I think maybe maybe kids can, can handle it but um, it is a beautiful film for adults I, I, I think some people are saying it's not for kids it's not for adults but I would really disagree with that I think it's really 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 heartfelt and emotional and, mm. and visually interesting as well mm. and, and I love Felicity Jones in it Lewis McDougall, I thought, was really good as the kid. Um, and uh, there's some nice turns as well from Sigourney Weaver as the kind of mother-in-law and Toby Kebbell as well, who's, who's the dad, yeah. a strange dad. And Bayona's directing the new Jurassic World movie, isn't he? So that's all, all power to him. There you go. Right. Um, so we gave A Monster Calls four stars. And just to round up the also-outs this week, we've got Brian Cranston, James Franco, rom-com, um, which makes it sound like they're... No, which makes it sound like they're yeah, the, basically uh, yeah. James Franco is marrying into Brian Cranston's family, and Brian Cranston's a kind of conservative dad, and James Franco's uh, a wacky young guy, and he's trying to impress him, over impress him. Right, so sort of meet, uh, meet hijinks ensue. Right, hijinks, the, not jinx the cat. No, okay, um, clear ne- uh, meet the parents overtures there, but we've given that two stars, yep. so not quite on that level. And we've also got Liam Neeson in his third cameo in the podcast the hardest minutes. working man in show business huh yeah and he's in Operation Chromite tell us about that yeah he, he plays uh, General MacArthur uh, and um, uh, he's, he's a very kind of typically Neeson Neeson-esque gravitas <laughs> performance uh, but I think the, the better thing in the movie is the kind of the, the cast around him uh, I think they, they, they give it some uh, some interest so uh, three stars from Empire perfecto and um, that is we oh my word maybe what? we should maybe mention is it Boxing Day, the release of Assassin's Creed, which we're not going to be there. That's correct. We're not going to be there to, to review, so we should probably mention Assassin's Creed, which will be out. It is Boxing Day, isn't it, Ian? Is it Boxing Day? I think it's the 1st of Jan. I think it's the 1st of Jan. Let's check it. It's not Boxing Day, it's New Year's Day. Nevertheless, it's, it's, it's in that ballpark. It's, it's in between now and, and <laughs> when we'll have the next podcast. So let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, this is the film that reunites Marion Cotillard, uh, director Justin Kersall, and for Assassin's Creed Bender, uh, the all star team behind Macbeth, um, for the adaptation of the Ubisoft game, uh, which is about a modern day, uh, well, death row criminal let's be honest uh, who gets saved from the needle at the last minute and taken to a special secret facility where he is catapulted back in time to relive the experiences of his ancestors via the miracle of genetic memory Carl Jung would be very very proud uh, it makes no sense in terms of actual science but yeah this is based on the, the very successful series of games um, of which there isn't one this year interestingly um, and uh, it, it's very much an action film sort of part period part modern it's interesting from a tonal perspective because they've gone for a very it's really serious, serious. 
serious, yeah. Serious take. Dour, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And given, and I won't give away too much, but given the plot and given the fantastical MacGuffin at the centre of it, a sense of humour probably wouldn't have gone amiss. Hmm. Um but yes, and, and the, the sections, when he goes back, he goes back to uh, sort of Constantinople, sort of Renaissance uh, era, um, and does lots of parkour, leaping around on rooftops. And the sort of past sections are all subtitled. They're all in Italian, presumably yeah. for authenticity. And I think that doesn't necessarily help that they're being, you know, very, very serious, but they're also doing it in Italian. Yeah, um, but within those sections... There's some really good action. There is. And I think this is the whole film saving grace. I mean, I very much enjoyed it. I've played all of the games to date. Uh, so I was very au fait with the plot as it developed. Uh, but the whole point of Assassin's Creed, it's running on rooftops. It's acrobatics. It's, you know, lots and lots of elaborate martial arts. And they pull it off really, really well. Um, there's some excellent choreography. There's some incredible invention in some of the action as well. There's a bit where, you know, he can't get a clear shot with a bow. So he fires an arrow off the wall and ricochets it into someone's head, yeah. which is genius. He does a wall run flip while on the back of a chariot sort of like charging down a street I mean yeah. there's tons of great stuff in there um, and, and you know fair play to Castle as well I mean if, if anyone's played the games when the future person goes back in time he essentially lies down on a bed and that's your future action sequence it's not the most dynamic and instead they've created the animus as this sort of huge robotic arm that seizes Fassbender and sends him catapulting around this room so it gives a real sort of visual dynamism to the to the future sections which I think really really helps the kind of counterpoint between those two eras as well um, there's loads going on Michael K. Williams is in there um, Jeremy Irons is in there uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan Gleeson turns up uh, and Brendan Gleeson turns yeah, up yeah. Uh, you know there's, there's, there's a lot of good people in there and I mean look this was the year where we thought that video game movies would finally you know seize the day we'd have Warcraft we had Assassin's Creed and they were both nailed on surefire massive hits that were going to be amazing neither of them are however this is definitely I would say a step up from Warcraft um, I think you know the plot is a little too po-faced and it's you know again if you haven't played the game it's a little hard to follow but um, it's really saved by the action which is great and the visuals I mean it gives you a real sense of place and of occasion in Constantinople which I believe was shot in Malta okay. uh, the Maltese street it also is also a film that very confidently teases a sequel yes very <laughs> very confidently and it may ultimately prove overconfidently but uh, but yeah it does I think uh yeah, there's a lot to be said about this in terms of how it was produced. I mean, I wasn't on set and I can't speak to any of that, but Ubisoft are very protective of this franchise and I do wonder how much they mandated a lot of the content of this film. This is just my own personal speculation, but I found that uh, quite interesting while watching the film. But hey, it's it. I would argue it is quite possibly the best video game adaptation to date. I appreciate that is not a particularly high bar to clear, um, but it's, it's worth a look. It's, you know, it's fun. Again, this has had some mixed critical response I'm on the more positive side of this one yeah uh, but yeah I, I I enjoyed it I thought it was it was worth a pump cool so there you go good stuff Assassin's Creed Bender and we've given that one we've given it three stars three stars still um, right that's it for the Empire Podcast I know what you're thinking it's it's sad it's a sad moment it is sad not just for this week but obviously for the whole year yeah um, it's been a wonderful year thanks for joining us uh, along the way um, we have one small exception to that though we have potentially a Rogue One spoiler special um, going up sometime around the New Year's mark. Yes, I so have to apologise for did, this. Did it, did it go up Yes, it went previously. up. There was, there was premature publication really? of, the, of the Rogue One spoiler special. Uh, where <laughs> you we can put take things to that, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we put it up on Monday this week, which was uh, actually too early. So it has come down. And then I went on Twitter and said it'd be up on Boxing Day, which turns out was also wrong. So it's been a, I mean, it's been a shit show from top to bottom. Right. But it will yeah. be. <laughs> the Rogue One spoiler special, if you didn't catch it when it leaked online briefly if you didn't catch it it will make a triumphant return on the 1st of January yes I promise yes Look, I promise. a great Gareth Edwards interview that's right yes Yes. look Wicked. at those full starts as a kind of a teaser for it but only yes. if you have also, the whole it gives movie you, it gives people a chance to see the film a couple of times yeah and, and, and really get, get into board, it I mean yeah. it is massively spoilersome so yeah. I mean you definitely don't want to listen to it until you've seen it at least once preferably twice so um, you know get excited it'll be back I've written down trust us it's unmissable but I haven't actually listened to it yet because it, you took it down that's it is Sorry, that true? it is it sounds yeah. unmissable we yanked it it was a bait and switch I haven't seen the film yet yes <laughs> Phil you're the only person alive are you waiting for like the Polish edit is that what this is I'm waiting for this the DVD has all the subtitles yes. so I can watch it in any variety of intergalactic languages right that makes sense also I was moving house on the day that they screened it and I couldn't make it right but I pretty much know what happens now thanks guys but when the bocce edit is available you'll be the first I'll be the to... first in line okay um, so 
so we'll be back next year I believe we will unless they take our microphones away for more film related fun and we hope you'll join us then thank you again for all your ears this year um, and check back on January the 6th for our regular podcast the first of 2017 and don't forget to have a listen to our big 2016 podcast roundup where we talk about literally yes. everything the review of the year podcast well, forever when, but it's all good which will be live on I can't remember what? I genuinely can't remember. Utter shambles. I know. I look. Scheduling I've, I'm things. dreadful at podcast scheduling, as, as has become abundantly clear. So it'll be up at some point, probably before the Rogue One one. Why don't you? It'd be like a Christmas present. You won't know when it'll arrive. You don't know when Santa's you coming. You know exactly when Christmas presents are going to arrive. Yeah, all right, exactly. fair enough. But you don't know what he's bringing you. In this case, it's the reverse. You you do know what we're bringing. You just don't know when we're bringing it. Oh, Am I stretching words. this analogy? Don't ever go Sorry. into the advent calendar business change. I have like four doors <laughs> and one broken <laughs> They'll window. They'll all be wrong. They're all wrong. Um, so yeah, all singing, all dancing, 2016 big movie roundup. And um, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, until then, and until next year, uh, it's goodbye from James. Goodbye. See you on the flip side. It's goodbye from Ian. Merry Christmas, folks. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to complete my roundup of Christmas cards with the munch scream emoji and the words I'm screaming of a white Christmas beneath that. Uh, Merry Christmas, one and all. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>